Well, when we, uh, my family, uh, basically all year, we think about, I mentioned before that we do these Amazon wish lists for Christmas, like, you know, so people can just go on the list and kind of pick out what you're getting. And every year it's always kind of like, well, what do I want? I don't really know what I, what I want or need. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we just kind of have the stuff we need. So I've come up in different years, I've come up with different themes. One year I had a, a bike theme. So I was like, I, was, I asked for this like, little basket that hooks under your seat, and I asked for some tools and stuff like that, some lights. And so I was like, okay, it was a bike theme. And then another year I had like a grill theme. So I was like, okay, well, I want to have grill stuff. So I asked for like this apron that's kind of like a, looks like a blacksmith's apron. I asked for some uh, like you know, flipping, whatever those called, utensils. I asked for a thermometer. And so every year it's kind of like, okay, what's my theme this year? Because it helps me, you know, you can add like a bunch of things for that one theme. It's like, I want to get into this, so I'm going to do that. But every year we have this question, what, what do I want for Christmas? And we can ask that, you know, every day, every, you know, week, what is it that I want? What is, you know, what do my actions show? That list that I make reflects the things I want. And so what about the rest of the year? What do our actions show about what we want? And a great place that we can look at to find out what we want is what we pray for. Because we're telling God what we want. This is the thing I want. I'm going to take my time before you know, I eat or in the morning or while I'm driving or whenever it is. I want to, I'm going to bring this before God. This is what I want. And we, we can tell what we want by what we ask for, what we wait for, what we save up money for, what we spend time doing, what we're willing to sacrifice for. Like I want that enough that I'm willing to pay the cost of it. It might be money costs, time costs, or whatever it is. I'm willing to pay the cost. And Jesus, we heard this prayer that he taught his disciples. And there's another part uh, of scripture where the disciples come and say, uh, teach us to pray. Uh, tell us how we ought to pray. His disciples are with him you know, for three years. Uh, perhaps before that they knew him. But for three intentional years, they were close to be with Jesus. And so they saw him praying. They saw him talking to God. They noticed you kind of go off by yourself to be with the Father. You see that in Mark 1. He's healing all these people, and all of a sudden they're like, where's, where's Jesus? And he's up on a mountain praying to the Father, praying to his Heavenly Father. And they get to see Jesus trusting God, believing God, surrendering to God, and praying to him in a way that maybe they weren't used to. And so they ask him, teach us to pray. We want the kind of relationship with God that you have. We want to talk to him like you talk to him. We want to trust him, obey him like you trust and obey him. We want to be like you in this. And there's a, a Christian philosopher and author who, who said, we don't just uh, want to have faith in Jesus, but we also want the faith of Jesus. That when you read about his life in the Gospels and you see what does Jesus' faith look like, what does he trust God for, what does he worry about, what is he asking God for, and ultimately what does he want? We want the faith of Jesus, the kind of faith he has in God, the kind of trust he has. Uh, we want to see God like he sees him. We want to know God like he does, trust God like he does. And so we're looking at what's you know labeled in my Bible, at least, and probably most Bibles, is the Lord's Prayer. And I remember I told my mom, I think last year, she had this like metal, it almost looked like a scroll, and it had the Lord's Prayer sitting on it, or written on it. And where I, where I sat at the dinner table, if I like looked over, it was sitting there. And you know, if you're bored, you just kind of I just read through it, and all of a sudden one day it's like, oh, I have the Lord's Prayer memorized. And we often call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is the one giving it. But really, it's the disciples' prayer. He's saying, they're wanting to know how to pray. He's trying to teach them how to pray. He's saying, this is what it looks like to pray. If you're one of my disciples, 
this is how I pray. This is how you ought to pray. It's the disciples' prayer. And so we're going to walk through just a, the first, uh, like two verses, the first four lines. And so he starts off by saying, okay, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. And so this, just these, uh, the first two words, our Father, say loads about what it looks like to have the faith of Jesus. Because first it's Father. You're addressing the Father, not just you know, some absent, distant, cold God that you don't actually know and doesn't care about you, but Father. You're addressing him as Father. So it puts you in the context of a relationship that we're not praying to some sort of cosmic genie to give us what we want. We're not you know, talking to the divine vending machine. If you press the right buttons, like, uh, God's going to dispense what, he want, what we want. But he's a Father, not a genie, not a vending machine. He's a Father. He's not the government that we look for a handout from or whatever. Like, it's, he's Father. That's the relationship. We're children. He is the Father. It's a relationship from son to daughter, son to father, daughter to father. And so I've said this before, but uh, there's these two phrases that I think uh, can kind of encapsulate a way to uh, live how Jesus lived, which is uh, his mindset was it's, it's not it's all about him and it's all up to him. I want to kind of capture the faith of Jesus. His faith in God the Father was it's all about him and it's all up to him. It's not all about me. It's not all up to me. And so when we're looking to God as our Father, we're saying, okay, this makes me recognize that I obey Him. He doesn't obey me. He's my Father. I'm going to listen to Him. I want to please Him. I want to do what He says. He knows what's best for me. I should look to Him for guidance. So it's not all about me. I'm going to Him as the one who guides my life. He's my Father. But then also it's, it's all up to Him. Because uh, a Father is someone that you trust, you rely upon, you depend upon them. Um, and so we... Jesus telling us to recognize it's not all about you. You're going to the Father, and he's the Father. You're the kids. You need to listen to him. And also, you can rely on him. It's not all up to you. It's all up to him. He's the Father who wants to provide for you. It even says here what your prayers shouldn't be like. You know, Some people are praying to be seen by others. Some people heap up all these phrases going on and on and on, thinking that the gods will give them what they want. But he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I know what Hudson needs before he ever asks me. And I know more than what he needs. He thinks, you know, there's all kinds of things he thinks he needs. But <laughs> I, you know, I don't know best. And, and, you know, someday maybe he'll recognize that. We'll see. Uh, but it's like our father, we need to be like, he knows best what he wants for me to do. And so I think another way to describe Jesus' faith, if you're just reading through the stories, it's kind of been a fascination of mine the last year, year and a half. It's like, what kind of relationship does Jesus show us he has with God the Father? And so another way you can see what Jesus thinks is, God's got this, and God's got me. Uh, he just he asks his disciples, he asks other people sometimes, where is your faith? When they're freaking out or they uh, aren't able to do something, it, it, he sees you're making it all about you, and you're thinking it's all up to you. And you need to believe, God's got this. God's got me. God's got us. And he just has this calm, unanxious presence as he goes through life. Even situations where it's like, Hey, there's 5,000 people here. We need to feed them somehow. And he's just like, you, you handle it. And the disciples are like, huh? We can't do that. And he's like, okay. And he goes and prays, and he's like, God's got this. God's got me. God's got us. But he also says, not just Father. Uh, he doesn't say my Father. He says our Father. And so this is a group of people, a community of disciples. He's saying, you pray our Father together. Yes, he is your father. He is my father. But Jesus doesn't teach us to pray like that. He says, our father, that 
we're a family that's praying together. And once again, that makes it so it's, it's not all about me. It's not all up to me because it's our Father. So this isn't all about me and the Father. This is about us and the Father. It's not all about me. It's about all of us. And it's not all up to me because our Father, I have a family of brothers and sisters in Christ that God is adopting into this family that I can be with them and be trust one another and help one another. And then he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is kind of a, an odd word. Uh, it means to be greatly revered or honored. And so the prayer is that, uh, God, I want, uh, may your name be greatly revered and honored. I want people to know what you're like. I want them to praise you. I want them to worship you. I want them to glorify you. May your name be greatly revered and honored uh, in this world. And you, we saw it in Psalm 67. I'll just... Uh, that we read at the very start of the service, of what does that look like? And so you see in this psalm, uh, they're praying for themselves, but they also say, well, he says, be gracious to us and make your face shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the, all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And he's, it's like the psalmist who's writing this, Psalm 67, is saying, I want, I want to see your grace and your face shining upon us so that all people might know. And we've talked about the people of Israel, and us are blessed to be a blessing. Why does God bless us with his grace? Why does he look on us with favor? So we may be a blessing to other people. And so hallowed be your name is, uh, hallowed, not hallowed, hallowed be your name, is we want him to be honored and glorified. It's like we're proud of who he is. We're proud to call him dad. Like It's like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's my father. That's my dad. I want everyone to know what he's like. And in the parable of the prodigal son, where the son goes off and spends all his money he comes back and the father welcomes him in and says, he has this big apology, like, I'm, just, I'm not worthy to be your son, I want to be your ser- I'm just going to be a servant in your house. And he throws his arms around him and throws this big party, welcomes him back. And the older brother in that story is you know, sitting outside the party watching it. And then the father comes out and is like, you need to come in here. And he's like, I've been working for you all these years, you've never thrown me a party. And he goes off and spends it all and you throw a party for him. And he does not like who his dad is. His dad is the kind of person who his youngest son wasted all of his inheritance and he comes back and he doesn't reprimand him. He throws him a party. He's like, he was lost, but now he's been found. But the older brother doesn't like that about his dad. doesn't like how generous and gracious he is. He can't, can't let him off the hook. But he should come back and, yeah, he should work his way back up. He doesn't love who his dad is. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that people would see God for how we see him, that they see him as the good, good father that he is, the loving, gracious, generous father. It's like, I love who he is, and I want other people to see that too. We're proud of it. And so we're praying that people would know him, love him, praise him, worship him. Really, worship, if you wanted to remember a quick definition, is just worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship. To what do you ascribe ultimate worth to and value? What do you treasure most of all? It's like, I just treasure that he's my father, and I want his name to be known in all the earth. And then he says, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come, your will be done. I think those, were, uh, how many words are that? Seven words in English are some of the hardest words for us to pray as human beings who and all of human history turned away from God because we want to be in charge. We want our kingdom to come. We want our will to be done. 
And so often, instead of asking that God's plans, purposes, and agenda would be advanced, we're asking that God would get behind our plans, purposes, and agenda, and saying, God, whatever the situation is, I'm you know, having this thing going at work, I have my family, I have my neighbors, whatever it is, uh, we are often praying, could life just be easier for me? Could I be more comfortable? God, this is what I'd like to happen. Um, I've been noticing this in my prayers. You know, sometimes it's like I pray, uh, I might pray, God, please help Hudson go to sleep, or please help Ezra go to sleep. Don't often pray that, but it's like usually when they're like, sick or just feeling really cranky or something. It's like, hey, I know they need sleep. God, would you put them to sleep? So I'm asking God to override their will so that they can go to sleep. And maybe it's a little bit easier for me. Maybe it's you know best for them. But it's like we often are asking God, get behind my plans, purposes, and agenda. This is what I want to see happen. And God, I'm just praying you would make it happen. Would you make it smooth? Would you make me successful? Would you make it safe? Would you uh, give me what I want? And it's, it's okay to bring our stuff to God, to bring our cares and worries and stress to God. I don't think it should be like, well, I'm not going to talk to God until I can do it perfectly. No, just talk to Him. I mean, you know, you, those of you who've had kids or seen kids, kids, we want them to talk to their parents, whether it's things that they should be asking for or not. That's how the relationship is. And over time we grow. Uh, the, the point is that we don't stay there just being like, you know, you know, Dad, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, I want this. But eventually it's like, I'm at, we actually start aligning ourselves. At, at some point, you know, Hudson is sometimes it's cool. I mean, he's only four, but it's like we'll be out in the yard. He loves doing yard work. And so sometimes he's just playing. And sometimes he, like, wants to help me. And so it's like, okay, he's picking up grass and putting in this bin. And now, he, so he's aligning himself with my plans, purposes, and agenda in that. Instead of just being off doing his thing, asking me to do his stuff, he's like, I'm going to come with my father and I'm going to do this with him. And so as we grow as children of God, we come into that place where it's like, you know what, I'm less and less kind of looking for what I want, um, but I'm more and more wanting to get behind his business. What's he doing? What's he about? And so we often have a wonderful plan for our life, and we like God to bring it to fulfillment. And Jesus here teaches us, pray for God's kingdom to come, his reign, his rule, his saving power, his name to come to earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we ought to be praying for God's kingdom to be tasted, to be seen, to be experienced, for people uh, to, to notice it, to feel it in this broken world. And so what would it look like for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done in your workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood or with your friends? What would it look like for God's kingdom and his will to be done uh, in those places? And so these opening lines set up the attitude and posture of a disciple's prayer. And really they're the reversal of what happened back in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. First human beings, God says, look, you don't, the, there's one rule, you don't live life on your own terms. Uh, you live it on my terms. And I've provided all this for you, and I'm with you in it, I'm here. Uh, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's sitting there represents that don't eat from that, because if you eat from that, you're saying... I want to live life on my own terms, not on God's terms. And then the serpent comes in, Satan in the form of a serpent comes in and leads them astray, gets them to doubt God's goodness, his trustworthiness, and they're like, yeah, I think we actually, I think life on our terms would actually be better. Um, it'd actually be better for our kingdom to be come, our will to be done, not for his. And so they eat from the tree, and then they get cast out of the garden, because if we're going to choose to live life on our own terms, uh, when God's the one on the throne, that's a problem. Uh, who, the person on the throne in the kingdom is the person you obey. And if you don't obey them, then you're a rebel. And you get kicked out of the kingdom or 
executed or whatever needs to happen. And so that's what God does. And uh, if you, no, it's not up here. But you can our logo. Well, I don't have a bulletin. Oh, but I have a song with our logo. This is like how God designed life to work. He's on the throne, and everything is centered on Him. It's all about Him. It's all up to Him. Uh, but we often will say when we want to live life on our own terms, it's like. I think I like to be on the throne. I like to wear the crown. I kind of like everything to revolve around me. My job, my work, my friends, whatever it is, you know, I want all to come of my will, my kingdom be done. And then at some point, Jesus comes and says, uh, he announces the kingdom of God, and now it's, okay, are you going to enter the kingdom of God by submitting, surrendering to this king, or are you going to reject it and remain a rebel? There's, just, there's two words that describe a lot of our culture individualistic and consumeristic. And we tend to put ourselves as the, in, as the individual at the center of all things. Is, uh, is this meeting my needs? Am I getting what I want here? Um, and our kingdom, our, our will to be done. But also consumeristic. We pr- approach life. Now, I don't know if this is, I could probably do more reading on it, if this is a new, unique thing to American life as opposed to all history. But as Americans, we are very consumeristic. We think about the goods and services we are going to consume. And we talked talked last week about how you can go online to find out which goods and services do you want to consume based on the reviews of other people saying, like, not worth it, one star, don't go here, you know, good food, bad service, or, you know, whatever it is. And so we look at life as uh, consumers, that we want something or someone to provide us with goods and services in the way we want them, at the speed that we want them, uh, in the way that we want them. And then we will take, if they don't, then we'll take our business elsewhere. And we can tend to treat church in the same way, that we just come to churches to consume religious goods and services. And if one church doesn't live up to what we wanted, yeah, two stars, move on, find one that does provide the religious goods and services that I want. And so this, just these four lines of this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Set up the attitude of what it looks like to have kingdom prayers. Not our kingdom, but God's kingdom prayers. And there's this... I, Katie and I started reading this book on marriage years ago. We never actually finished it, but uh, there's one page, page, like a page and a half, that uh, has just stuck with me ever since I read it. And so it's worth the price of the book to just read this. So let me read. This is a... Um, first, this author quotes... Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 where it says that Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again now, so then he defines what is sin sin is living for yourself and Jesus died that we may no longer live for ourselves and then he describes what does it look like to live for ourselves he says sin turns us in on ourselves sin makes us shrink our lives to the narrow confines of our little self-defined world Sin causes us to shrink our focus, motivation, and concern to the size of our own wants, needs, and feelings. Sin causes all of us to be way too self-aware and self-important. Sin causes us to be offended most by offenses against us and to be concerned most for what concerns us. Sin causes us to dream selfish dreams and to plan self-oriented plans. Because of sin, we really do love us and we have a wonderful plan for our own lives. And at the end, he goes on, later he says, uh, it is... Uh, the biblical observation is that we are kingdom-oriented people. We always live in the service of one of two kingdoms, 
We live in service of the small, personal happiness agenda of the kingdom of self, or we live in service of the huge, origin-to-destiny agenda of the kingdom of God. When we live for the kingdom of self, our decisions, thoughts, plans, actions, and words are directed by personal desire. We know what we want, where we want it, why we want it, how we want it, when we want it, and who we would prefer to deliver it. Our relationships are shaped by an infrastructure of subtle expectations and silent demands. We know what we want from people and how to get it from them. We seek to surround ourselves with people who will serve our kingdom purposes, and we evaluate them not from the perspective of the laws of God's kingdom, but from the perspective of the laws of our kingdom. So, our logo illustrates, will, in a way, we'll live for one of two kingdoms, our kingdom or Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus sent his, uh, his disciples, his 12 core disciples, to make more disciples. And he said the way you do that, one of the ways, is by teaching them to obey all that he commanded. And one of those things he commanded was how they ought to pray. And so as these original disciples are going out to make more disciples, they would be teaching people uh, what Jesus said about prayer. He asked, they asked, teach us to pray. How do you pray? What, what does it look like to pray like you do? And then he you know, told them. And so now, okay, go teach people to pray like this. And so what, any of the prayers we find in the New Testament um, that are written by Jesus' disciples are prayers that are them fulfilling. We want to make disciples by teaching what Jesus commanded, uh, how we can have the faith of Jesus, how we can relate to God as our Father like Jesus, to trust God like Jesus did, to see God as Jesus did, to ask for what glorifies and honors God like Jesus did, to pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done instead of our own. And there's a number of themes in the prayers of Jesus' disciples we find in the New Testament. And one theme uh, is praying for love and unity among God's people. Another theme is praying for endurance and strength to persevere uh, to the end uh, that we would not abandon our faith in Jesus. And another, uh, the theme we're going to focus on today um, shortly is the theme will be, is the theme of the good news of God's kingdom advancing. That they prayed, Jesus came announcing the good news of God's kingdom. And then he taught his disciples, this is how you pray prayers. You pray for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. And so then when we read the rest of the New Testament after Jesus died and was resurrected, now his disciples are showing people how they pray and telling people how to pray. And one of the things Jesus brought up uh, when he was teaching his disciples is he talked about the harvest. He wanted them to look at the harvest around you. And his point was, uh, look, there's a lot of work here to be done. There's a lot of, basically the harvest is people who are far from God. And so he's like, look around. People are far from God. There's a lot of work here to do. We need to uh, tell people about God's kingdom. We need to invite them to respond to that. And so he said, uh, told them, look around at the harvest. Uh, And when he did so, he looked at, he saw this crowd of people before him and he had compassion. And then he tells them, look at the harvest and pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest to go out there like there's people waiting to hear about God. Um, and I think it's interesting. We might say like, well, so Jesus never told us to go be laborers for the harvest. He told us to pray for laborers for the harvest. Um, but that's kind of a weird distinction because if you're praying for something uh, that you see a need, there's a need there, I'm just going to pray somebody takes care of that. It's like, well, we should be the answer to our own prayer in a way. I'm seeing laborers for the harvest are needed. I'm praying that God would send more laborers out, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to pray as I go out into it. But the, I want to focus on just these two passages shortly. One is Romans uh, 9.2, 
and Romans 10.1. Uh, the page number is on the back of your bulletin at the top if you want to see it. Um, we've talked about these before, Romans 9.2 and 10.1. Romans 9.1 uh, and 2, this is um, one of Jesus' uh, disciples who's writing to a church, and he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And so he's talking about when he, this is a, a Jewish guy, an Israelite, looking at other Jewish people who have rejected Jesus as their king. And he's saying, I have unceasing anguish and great sorrow in my heart. He looks at them and he has it's just a pit in his stomach. He's like, I cannot believe this. I can't believe they're rejecting Jesus. Like, I'm just sorrowful about this. I'm in anguish about it. And then in 10.1, uh, so that's 9 10.1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So this is one, this is not necessarily a prayer we're reading, but this is one of Jesus' followers teaching other people how to follow him and saying, here's where my heart's at when I look at people far from God, and here's what I'm praying for them. I have this unceasing anguish and great sorrow in my heart, and my heart's desire for them and my prayer for them is that they may be saved. And so that's one uh, prayer we we want to be able to do. And so we are laborers for the harvest. We see those far from God, and we have compassion for them and pray that they be saved. I'm just going to flip. Why do we... Why is prayer necessary um, for in this whole thing that if we want to see people come to know Jesus, you know, we're surrendering all of life to him and inviting others to, be, to do the same. Why is prayer necessary? Why isn't it just, we need to focus on um, our work, doing it the best we can. We, of course we want to do, talk to people about Jesus the best we can, but that's not actually what's going to save them. Uh, the only person who can change a human heart is God himself. And we read in 2 Corinthians 4, um, this is the same guy that we read in Romans 9, saying, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, in their case, people who have rejected Jesus, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And so he says, what's, why don't people believe? He says they've been blinded to seeing Jesus as he really is. And so that's why the prayer is, open their hearts. Would you take away this blindness? And secondly, we, we ask for their hearts to be opened. Uh, we ask for our hearts to be opened, that we have a heart of compassion. But then we also pray for open doors, and we see this in Colossians. Uh, this will be the final passage we, we turn to. Colossians chapter 4. Um, verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The page number is on the back of the bulletin, if you're using one of the black Bibles. So here, um, same guy again, Paul. It's a Jewish guy writing to this church. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am imprisoned that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So there's two requests here, an open door and really an open mouth to be able to say what he ought to be saying to people when he's given that open door. He wants to make it clear. And so 
The fourth thing, we're going to be praying these four things later. We're going to go into time with uh, one more song here, and then we're going to have a transition point. If you're kind of like, hey, I'm not really into this whole, like, heard a sermon, and I'm going to pray with these people thing. Um, that's fine. We'll just we'll give a moment for anybody who needs to leave. They can. Uh, but I would hope that you uh, could stay so we could do this together and pray to our Father together. And so we're going to pray for four things um, after we sing this final song. It's going to be praying for us to have open hearts of compassion uh, for people and their spiritual need, that we would ha- have open doors, uh, opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, thoroughly, that we would have open mouths, with not just the opportunity, but we would have an open mouth to say it clearly. And fourth, that... God would open their heart. So open is kind of the theme here. Our open heart, open doors, open mouth, uh, and then their heart to be open to the gospel. And so let me pray um, as the musicians come forward to lead us in a song. Father, thank you that you did not leave us where we're at, that you didn't leave us living in the kingdom of self, that you pulled us out, you transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son, And so, Lord, would you make us people that are praying that your kingdom come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.